It's good to be back. Shalom everyone for coming this morning to learn. Um, the first Rashi in Chumash quotes the famous member in the name of Rabbi Yitzchak that the Torah really should have begun with the first mitzvah, which is Achaydish is Elochem of Kiddush Achaydish, but instead began with the story of uh, Ma'aseh Breshis. Um, in order to teach us you know, that we have the original claim um, to Eretz Yisrael. And the very fact that the first Rashi and the uh, purpose, according to Rashi, of all of Sefer Beishas is to establish our claim to Eretz Yisrael certainly underscores the importance and the centrality of Eretz Yisrael in our thought and in the system of Torah and mitzvahs. Um, but together with that, the fact that the Dafiyoy Mechabur is finishing, uh, coming to the end of Mesechtas Ksubis, which is a significant accomplishment beginning Mesechtas Nadarim, um, Yaakov asked me to perhaps expand upon one of the sugis at the end of Mesechtas Ksubis that's dealing with the sugis of Eretz Yisrael. Uh, so I thought today maybe we'd uh, focus in um, on the topic, on the issue of the Shalosh Vuas. In the uh, course of a discussion between Rav Yehuda and Rabbi Zera, who were both in Bavel, Rav Yehuda the Amira, were both in Bavel, and Rabbi Zerah had the inclination to emigrate to Eretz Yisrael to make Aliyah, and Rabbi Yehuda is attempting to discourage him. So in the course of that discussion, they digress into um, Darshan and Psukim. And the Gemara brings up in that context the statement of Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Chanina, Damar Gimel Shvuas Lama. The Gemara there is commenting on the Psukim and Shir Hashim. Shir Hashim, of course, is the allegorical story of the love that exists between Klai Yisrael and the Rebbeinu Shalaylam, and it's put into the metaphor of a man and a woman, uh, a duet, who are, who are committed to uh, consummating their relationship, but the timing is always misaligned. When the man is ready, the woman isn't ready. When the woman is ready, the man isn't ready, and that becomes a forestalled and frustrated um, experience. So three times throughout Shira Shirim, there, we have almost a, you know, the identical Pasuk. The Pasuk says, Hishbati Eschem, I don't have a Shir Hashirim here, but Hishbati Eschem, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is being Mashbia Benois Yerushalayim, and there's something to do with deers, Bitzvaos, Vailos Hasada, Tzvi is a deer, and Ayal is a gazelle or uh, antelope. So, Kaddish Baruch is being Mashbiya, the Benoist Yushalayim, something to do with deer. It's not to awaken, not to arouse the love until it's ready. Meaning, one person shouldn't take uh, the initiative and be aggressive and consummating the relationship when the other party isn't ready. And again, they seem to uh, constantly be, uh, be on different pages. So, don't take it into your own hands and arouse and awaken the love until it's desired. But there's a Shavuah that's made to Benoist Yushalayim. That Pasuk is repeated all, ident- you know, again later on in Shavuah and then it appears a third time, this time without the, the Tzvaos, Vayos, Asada, without the, the Deers and the Gazelles. So the Gemara here quotes the name of Rabbi Yisrael Hanina that this is a reference to three Shavuos that Kaddish Baruch Hu was Mashbiya Benoist Yisrael. Who's Benoist Yushalayim? Who is the Benoist Yushalayim? So the uh, Chazal have interpreted that two of the Shavuos, the ones that mentioned the Tzvaos, Vayos Asada, is referring to Klal Yisrael, because it's Tzvi, as uh, compared to Klal Yisrael, Psukim and Tanakh. So th- that's referring to Benoist Yushalayim, is referring to Klal Yisrael. And Klal Yisrael can rightly be referred to as Benoist Yushalayim, because they're like the daughter of Yushalayim that's been married off to a man that she's not happy to, you know, with, and she's trapped in someone else's house, like, you know, the daughter who's trapped in the son-in-law's house um, against her will in a foreign land. And that obviously refers to Klal Yisrael, trapped in the Golos. Um, in a place that they're not happy being. They'd rather be together with the Kaddish Baruch who reunited in Eretz Yisrael. So that's, uh, and what, B'nai Shushalim can be referred to, Klal Yisrael. And the Chazal understood, at least over here in this version, that the two first uh, times this post appears, it's referring to a Shavuah that Kaddish Baruch Hu is Mashbiya Klal Yisrael while they are in the Golos. 
Benoist Yishalayim while they're in, cap- in captivity away, like the daughter was in captivity away from her father. The, the third time the Pasuk appears, it's referring to the Umas HaElam, Ashwah, that Kajbrach was Mashbiyah, the Umas HaElam, while Kali Israel is in Golas, because the Umas HaElam can also rightly be referred to as Benoist Yishalayim. In what way is the international community Benoist Yishalayim? Because sometimes throughout Tanakh, um, you find uh, 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 that the word Uvnoi Seha refers to suburbs of a larger metropolis. You have in Sev Yoshua, Beishan Uvnoi Seha. But it appears numerous times throughout Tanakh that Uvnoi Seha, if you're sensitive to it, can refer to Beishan and its surrounding areas. And since uh, at the times of Geula, Yushalayim will become the epicenter of the world, so all of the other cities of the world can legitimately be referred to as Benois Yushalayim, as the suburbs, as the satellites of Yerushalayim. So Rabbi Yezir Rabbi understands these three shvuas as, um, as oaths that were Kadosh Baruch Hu was Mashbia, two of them to Kalisa, one of them to Musa during the period of time when we are misaligned with the Rebbe Nishlam and we find ourselves in Galas, which is what the whole story of Shir Hashirim is all about. So over here, one of the Rabbi Yezir Rabbi explains the Gimel shvuas, Halalu Lama. What are they? What is the, cont- what is the content of them? Acha Shloyalu Yisrael B'chaimah. The Kalisa should not wage an aggressive um, campaign to conquer Eretz Yisrael. There Rashi writes, Yachad biyad chazaka. Why is it described as a kechayma, like a wall? Because either, it, it obviously connotes some sort of militancy and aggressiveness, but Klaiso marching as soldiers, like if you picture the, you know, the, the, the reenactments of the Revolutionary War, everyone's marching shoulder to shoulder, soldiers marching in a line, that kind of warfare. So it's kechayma, or maybe they're scaling the walls around Yerushalayim, or the Marshal explains, maybe they're building fortifications around Yerushalayim after they've conquered it. But it certainly refers to some sort of militant, aggressive move to reestablish a Jewish settlement in Eretz Yisrael. So one of the Shuas, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Mashbiya, Kali Yisrael, why they find themselves in the Golos, is Shlo Yavu Yisrael B'chaimah. One is that they should not um, rebel against the nations of the world. So I, I presume what that means is, even if they're not going to go to Eretz Israel, uh, but they shouldn't attempt to hijack uh, one of the other countries of the world and turn that into a Jewish country. Um, and, you know, ad- adopt it as their own. So, remove, you know, the, the, the ruler of that country and replace it with themselves. So that also, they're not supposed to do. And also, Kaddish Baruch was Mashbiyah, the Umas that they shouldn't um, uh, oppress and uh, persecute the Jewish people. Too much. Too much. Okay, so two of the Shuas direct to Kali Yisrael, and the third is to the Umas not to persecute and oppress Kali Yisrael too much, whatever, it sounds like there's a sufficient amount of, you know, amount that is allowed, because we will tolerate, um, kind of like, you know, the discussion regarding the Egyptians in Mitzrayim, why were they punished, even though it was part of the bris that Kadosh Baruch made with Avram Avinu, but the Egyptians went too far, they did too much, and that's exactly what Kadosh Baruch over here is being much the not to do, now it sounds like from here, if you read the Gemara honestly, with the open approach, without any kind of preconceived notions, implies that we should um, while we are in the Gaulas, not make an organized, uh, uh, aggressive campaign to reestablish a Jewish state 
in the land of Eretz Yisrael. We're specifically not supposed to take the initiative. HaKadosh Baruch was telling us, wait, until it's wanted, like the love between this man and woman that are portrayed by Shira Shirim, and one person shouldn't take it, one party shouldn't take it, one side shouldn't take it into their own hands to kind of consummate the relationship or on their own. It's, uh, here we are, you know, taking, uh, to do so would be, you know, taking the initiative. This seems to... Um, give the impression that the whole kind of Zionistic um, approach of doing exactly that, of taking the initiative, of establishing a Jewish state in the land of Eretz Yisrael, seems to be in violation of this Gemara Mesechus. So we have to ask ourselves, uh, this Gemara Mesechus of the Shalosh And the first being, Shlogalu Yisrael B'chaimah. So we first have to ask ourselves, is this the only um, opinion that we find in Chazal? Meaning, is this the only statement on the matter? And um, is this a halachic statement at all? Maybe this is an agadic statement. Now, um, and not meant to be taken as a normative, authoritative halacha. Now, it happens to come up in the course of a halachic discussion. Rabbi Zeir wants to make Aliyah Teretz Yisrael, wants to emigrate Teretz Yisrael, Rabbi Huda is discouraging him. Um, Rabbi Huda cites this pasuk as a reason not to go. Rabbi Zeir says, no, there's nothing wrong with an individual going to make Aliyah and moving Teretz Yisrael. The problem here is Shlogayu Yisrael B'chaim. If you look over here, the Marsha, um, it's quick to point out, um, and that's exactly Rabbi Zeir's point, is that, no, there's a problem if we would take the aggressive initiative of attempting to establish a Jewish, um, you know, a settlement, a community in Eretz Yisrael, but for every individual, certainly permitted, and that was exactly what Rabbi Zeir argued back to Rabbi Yehuda. I have the license to go. I'm not in violation of this shvu. It's only shvu yagu Yisrael b'chayma, to go up in mass, like soldiers marching next to each other, but an individual pioneer wants to go on his own, doesn't seem to be, um, you know, included. So it's in the course of a halakhic discussion where this is taking place, and no other material is brought to bear. So it sounds like, you know, it, it, at least our first impressions is that even though it certainly has an agadic tone to it, um, perhaps, perhaps there is, there is a halakhic implication. Even an individual is not a good answer. No, no. So that's exactly what Rabbi Zeir is arguing. Yeah, but Rabbi what, Well, what is Rabbi Huda's opinion? We can have a whole other, uh, Rabbi Huda's opinion that needs to be explored independently. What does Rabbi Huda reject the mitzvah Yishev Aris today? Right. So, right. It's a fantastic point. We should have, could explore Rabbi Huda independently. Rabbi Huda deserves his own treatment. But um, focusing now on Rabbi Zeir, because the Gemara seems to conclude like Rabbi Zeir, the question was Rabbi Huda rejected, and what did Rabbi Huda hold about? There's no mitzvah of Yishev Aris today. It's a good, it's a good point. It actually comes up in the discussion, but we're not, we're not going to go there. Yeah. Anyway, but just you know, in terms of analyzing the way that it, it, the Gemara seems to conclude within Rabbi Zera, you know, doesn't this seem to uh, imply that there are certainly problems with the, with the, you know, with the, with the whole Zionistic dream as we understand it? So the first thing to note is that perhaps this is not the only voice on the matter. The Gemara actually says in Masechtas Yuma. Commenting again on a pasuk in Shira Shirim with regards to the Golas after Churim Bais Rishin, the pasuk says, "Em Chaymahi Nivna Olat Tiras Kesef." If it will be like a wall, again the same imagery of the wall. If it will be like a wall, Nivna Olat Tiras Kesef. So then you can build a, a silver um, tower. Vim Delasi Nitzalgal Guacharez. But if it will be like a door, then um, you have a wall of cedar wood. So the Gemara explains. If at the time of the Galus after Chum Bais Rishon you had come back like a wall, if Kaiser had come back from Bavel in Mass at the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, so then Valizim Kulkam be Meyezer and Nimshaltim Kekesef. So then Eretz Yisrael, the Bayasheni, would have lasted, endured. Um, forever, like silver, which doesn't rot. We know silver tarnishes, but it doesn't rot. So the the the, the yishuv and eretz would have been um, more formidable. Shein rekav shaleid by achshav that you know there's no rot that can can affect it. Achshav shalisim kidlosos. But now that since at the time of Ezra you did not come back 
kechoyma in mass. Rather, you came back. Kitlos is like a door, which is sometimes open, sometimes closed. There were sometimes people coming, sometimes nobody coming. So nimshaldim keres, it became like cedar wood. Sharekev shaloit, but they can rot. And the gemara mesechlis brachas. It's also gemara mesechlis sanhedrin, but not as clear in sanhedrin. But over here, the gemara mesechlis brachas explains that they actually did an avera by not returning in mass at the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. The gemara is here. Comments in the pasuk and Azyoshi Adiavar Amcha Hashem Adiavar Amzu Kanisa. Sounds like there's two passing overs. One is referring to the Bia Rishayna at the time of Yeshua, that they came out of Mitzrayim, the early Mitzrayim came to Eretz and of course established, you know, the, 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 the Bayez Rishon. And then the Adyavar Amcha, Adyavar Amzukanisa is referring to the uh, return after Chorim Bayez Rishon, the time of the Bayez Shani. So Gemara says, they were worthy of having Nisim at the time of Ezra Nehemiah, similar to that, that we had at the experience at the time of Yeshua, but Shagar Machet. The chait prevented those nisim from occurring. What is the chait? So the implication is, um, you know, Rashi here says, what kind of nisim would they have experienced? They would have experienced nisim. They would have been able to overcome the opposition amongst the Malchi Paras, the kings of, of Persia. Um, they didn't experience those kinds of miracles. Sounds like, you know, Shigar Machet, what was the chait that they didn't come back in mass? So the Pnei Yeshua, on the Gemara Mesechtas Ksubis, back over here ourselves, if you look at the last brackets, writes, Lav Memra Psikahi. This idea, which is one being one of the Shalosh Vuas, is not the only voice on the topic. It's a machlekes hasugya. It's the most unsatisfying answer in all of Talmudic discourse. Machlekes hasugya. Okay, but, but sometimes it happens to be accurate. So maybe over here it's machlekes hasugya. Is this true? Are we not allowed to do this? Or, or, or are we allowed to do this? It's a machlekes. You find the Gemara was actually critical of the Jews at the time of Ezra and Chemia specific. And again, the, the, the Shvu of Shir Hashirim proceeds. The Chorim Bayez Rishon, so they were already bound by the Shvuah Shkol Yaru and unless the Gemara is critical of the Jews at the time of Ezra Nechem, the Golos Babel, for not returning, Kichayma, like a wall. So, that was the permission of Hashem to go back. They want, the wanted them to go back. We're going to get to your point. I think there's a better resolution now which the Pnei Yoshua offers, but that's the Pnei Yoshua solution, Machlaikas Hasugis. But, but that's not subject to the Shvuah, Ezra Nechemia's time. We'll get to it. But the Shvuah happened before. The Shvuah happened before. There comes a point in time. Ah, okay, okay, okay. That's actually two different times. Years yeah, but it's talking about that ghost, meaning that after Chorim Bayez Rishon, when they came back, they came back Kedelos, and the Gemara is critical of them. Why'd you come back Kedelos? You should have come back Kechayma. What's one plane every now and then? Nefesh Benefesh, it should have been Kechayma, everyone coming back on, yeah, but they didn't. Oh. So wrote this with of knowing, because he was, at that time, he was king. Ruach would call it, yeah. But he knew he was king, so he knew that there was going to be Right. Yeah, I think we can do better than what the Pnei Yoshua does, but that's, that's, at least we have to entertain, we have to consider this as part of the equation. The, um, <clears throat> is this quoted though, is this halachic matter at all? Maybe the whole thing is agathic. And again, it comes up in the context of halachic discussion here, Rabbi Zayn and Rabbi Yehuda, it certainly sounds like it has halachic implications, but to any of the Rishonim side of Lamaisa, so the, the, people will know as well, the Rambam, that Menezer makes this point in his shuvah about this, idea, this issue, the Rambam never cites it in the Mishnah Torah. That is true, um, at least explicitly. However, the Megillah Sefer, um, perhaps the most co- famous comment in the Megillah Sefer, which is one of the classical commentaries in the Ram Sefer Mitzvahs, in defense of the Rambam, the Rambam famously omits um, the Mitzvah Yishavarot from his Minina Mitzvahs, from his enumeration of the Mitzvahs. The Ramban, in his list of Mitzvahs, the Ram- Rambam forgot 
the fourth mitzvah, he claims that the Ram forgot, was the mitzvah of Harash Masaras Vishavtimba, was the mitzvah of Yishvaretz. Um, and in defense of the Rambam, which the Megillah Sefer's job is to do, is to defend the Rambam from the attacks of the Ramban. So he claims the Rambam omitted the mitzvah of Yishvaretz, which seems to be explicitly in the Pasuk of Hashvah Schanon, Rasha Masaras Vishavtimba, because the Rambam feels that mitzvah um, um, was curtailed. There was such a mitzvah at some point in time, times of Yeshua, to go up and conquer the land, but that mitzvah ended. Um, after the Shavuot, um, and that truncated the mitzvah. It's over. Ah, but lesser level, we're going to come back. So we go say, but yeah, the mitzvah will return, be Mashiach, but it's not for now. And therefore, the Rambam left it out of his minyan mitzvahs. Now, the comment, the comment of the Megillah Sefer, first of all, seems to evoke this Gemara in the you know in the most halachic of all senses, and that's exactly why the Rambam left out the mitzvah of Yishvaret. So he certainly uh, uh, seems to have understood in halachic sense, and he claims it's exactly the basis for the Rambam. The comments of the Megillah Sefer in, the, in terms of the mitzvah of Yishvaret we've discussed before, and it's certainly very bothersome. It's troubling on many levels. First of all, in terms of the mitzvah of Yishvaret itself, but even in terms of the, of the methodological um, uh, uh, mecha, you know, uh, 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 device that he's using that it's possible for a mitzvah to be uh, curtailed and then return so the last level. Yeah, no, he claims there was such a mitzvah. I'm saying are the same mitzvahs that don't apply to because the basic mitzvah is the same idea. Exactly. So the Rambam quotes many mitzvahs that are Meir Yibana Mikdash. We're not practicing Kavanas today. He claims the mitzvah stopped, though. It was. It's totally basic mitzvah. That's what I said. Is that the Swarov? You can analyze it independently. But it seems to violate the Rambam's cardinal principle, the Ugimu Ikriyamuna, is that these are the mitzvahs of the Torah and they do not change. Um, anybody who suggests that mitzvahs do change um, in our times for whatever reason um, is laid by the Rambam as an apikurus. So the Megillah Savior seems to be suggesting what is apikurus, at least according to the Rambam. So forget about you know, the mitzvah of Yishev so on its own. Methodologically, what he's suggesting is, is certainly troubling. Um, so anyway, but that is the comment of Megillah Savior. We have to acknowledge it. And the Megillah Savior does seem to cite this Gemara, at least in a halachic sense. The Rambam himself, though, does quote it. Not in the Mishnah Torah, but in the Geras Teman. The Rambam, of course, was writing a letter in the 13th century to the community in Yemen who was experiencing difficulty with some pseudo-Messianic figure who was uh, attempting to synchronize Judaism together with Islam and bring everything together. Um, and he was preaching about messianic times. So Rambam wrote a letter to be mechazic the community that, you know, to dismiss, uh, marginalize this individual and don't take him seriously. So in the course of that discussion, forgetting about the Islam component, into, just in terms of the messianic component, the Rambam says that anybody who's preaching about messianism in Yemen, um, you have to be suspicious of. Because Kajbahu is Majbia, look over here, the last uh, second line of Isai, Vishbia Lab Al Sada Mosha, Kajbahu is Majbia us, Bahamar Hishbati Yasamaraju Shalayim, that you know Shuba Yalu Bikoima. So anybody who's preaching about messianic times and marching back territory Israel is going to be in violation of the Shalashvulis and therefore is already you know suspicious. So the Ram here does quote the statement of the Shalashvulis. And, you know, again, it seems to be that he's giving this as advice, you know, one of the reasons that we should reject this, uh, this individual who is, who is, who is uh, uh, promoting this kind of attitude. However, at the same time, in the very same breath, when the Ramam quotes it, um, the Ramam says, outside HaMashal. The Ramam says that this was a mashal, this was an allegory or a metaphor or, you know, um, a parable. Wasn't necessarily meant to be taken, you know, literally. So... The Rambam does quote it, and this is one of the sources that everyone who's on one side of this issue cites. The Rambam mentions the Shalosh Vuas explicitly. He does in the Egeris but in the very same breath, the Rambam calls it um, outside Amashal. 
So what we can do with that is obviously obviously limited. The Amenezer and his tshuva about the Sholosh um, over here, Oizvav, believes that the whole um, issue of the Sholosh is is not a halachic statement, even though it came up in that context, but it's more of a, you know, it, it isn't meant in a normative sense that uh, you know, actions or that are either uh, permitted, obligated, or prohibited for the goof of Klal Yisrael to, to accomplish, but rather it's something that Kodesh Baruch was much bigger than the Shamos of Klal Yisrael. He, he likens it to a Gemar Masechtas Nida, um, which the Tanya begins with, that a Kodesh Baruch is mashbia every individual to be a tzaddik and not to be a rasha. So you say, well, obviously, you have to keep the Torah in the mitzvahs. Obviously, you're supposed to be a tzaddik and not to be a rasha. Why do you have to be mashbia Kali Yisrael to be a tzaddikim and not to show him? So Avnezer explains, this was a shvua to the neshamas of Kali Yisrael. The goof of Kali Yisrael is bound by the mitzvahs that we all have to do and the activities we're you know, required to refrain from. But the neshama of Kali Yisrael is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu was speaking to at that time. So Avnezer claims over here as well, this is somewhat of an agalic statement that's focused on the neshamas of Kali Yisrael, but not something that we have to actually follow with our gufim. Those are two different realms, and this one is, should be understood in that light, like the Shavua, that Kodesh Baruch Hu must be every neshama of Kali Yisrael to be a tzaddik and not to be a Russia. And we understand where he's coming from. The Raman himself, when he quoted it, quoted it outside Amashal. However, there are Rishonim who cite this Haloch Lomaisa. Over here in the Kaftar Vaferach. Kaftar Vaferach was of Ishtar Aparchi, um, a Jew who traveled uh, from Sfarad, I believe, to Eretz Yisrael in the 1400s. He's well known because he has many important statements about Eretz Yisrael because he actually visited Eretz Yisrael. Sometimes a lot of the Rishonim discuss Eretz Yisrael in the abstract without ever having been, been there. The Kafsa of visited Eretz Yisrael has a lot of important statements about uh, Inyone Eretz Yisrael. So we hear the Kafsa of writes, of course there is a mitzvah today of Yeshiva Eretz for the individual, subscribe to the Ramban, um, but not on the community. Mihu, lo yagu amenas lichvoish, they should not go up in mass and organized effort, uh, at until the gula comes, I guess we'll be notified about that, that um, that will be the time, but now is not the time. And that's exactly, you know, Rabbi Zeyra's point. For the individual to go is fine, but not as, as, as a community. The same point is made by the Rashbash, a grand Talmud of the Ramban. He was the son of the Tashbates, also in the 1400s over here, Oishchez. He says, Ain't Suffolk Shadir Baritzel, he mitzvah Gedela, of course. And again, he's from the school of the Ramban, that the Yishav Haaretz is certainly a mitzvah, um, and he quotes the Ramban. However, um, that is only upon the individual. But mitzvah zu, ain't a mitzvah koileles a kol Yisrael, begolos hachel It's not now. For the Klal Yisrael, it's only for the, um, for the individual. So it sounds like we have some Rishonim who do accept this statement. Halach Lomaisa, the Kafsa Vafera quotes it, the Rashbash quotes it. The Rambam quotes it, again, you know, in a somewhat compromised fashion. But the Rambam certainly um, does quote it in the Geras Teman, which seems to imply that if there is a Machlekes HaSugis, as the Pnei Yeshua suggested, Perhaps the conclusion is like the Gemara Masechtas Ksubis. Therefore, um, you know, it's, it's not a, you know, a wild conclusion what the Satmar Rebbe writes in the uh, Vayol Moshe, where he has three Mamorim about Inyane Zionism in Eretz Yisrael. The first is the Maimar Shalosh Shavuos, all about the Shalosh Shavuos. The second is about Maimar Yishav Aretz, where he deals with the Mitzvah of Yishav Aretz and the Ramban versus the Rambam, which is a separate discussion. And then he's a Maimar Lashon HaKadosh about the revival of Hebrew as a spoken language, which is a whole separate issue. But in the Maimar Shalosh Shavuos, the um, Satmar Rebbe, and this was even before him, the, the, uh, the Munkacher and the Minchas Elazar, uh, all took the view that Zionism itself is an Avera of uh, Shiloh Yalu in violation of this, of the, you know, the first of the Shalosh of Shiloh Yalu, 
Yisrael B'chaim and not to make an organized uh, effort to reestablish a Jewish community in Eretz Yisrael. And it seems to be that that's what the Gemara Meshach Shavu is. If you accept it at face value, seems to be seems to be implying. Um, what, the Simon Rebbe goes one step. In my opinion, you know, it's disturbing, but I don't think he meant it in a caustic and offensive fashion. Uh, he wasn't that kind of individual. Satmar is not that kind of movement. Uh, it's uh, like any other chesidus. They emphasize the office Israel. We see the chesed that they do, so I would have never interpreted it in any kind of offensive context, but it could be understood in an offensive way. The Gemara there concludes that if Kaiser will violate the Shorosh Vuis, um, so the reason why the deer is mentioned in this muscle is not only to tell us that, you know, to indicate that it's referring to Kali Yisrael, the deer, the Tzvaos, Vayagos HaSadeh, the deer and the gazelles of the field, is mentioned because, if you look over here, Amar Rabbi Olazar, the fourth line down, Amar Lehem HaKadosh Baruch Hu Yisrael, back in Oisal, if the Gemara Masech Tzubis, Amar Lehem HaKadosh Baruch Hu Yisrael, Im Atem HaKaimim HaShashvua, Mutav, if you keep the Shavua, it's great, V'imlav and Imater, as Besarchem, Kitzvos Chayos HaSadeh, I'm going to spill your blood like a person who goes hunting for deer and gazelles in the field. So it says the Satmar Rebbe over here, Ois Tes, Vayo Moshe, and the Maimah Shoah um that those who are, who are waging this campaign of Zionism are not being careful about the Shoah Shvuas, Vavro and then he claims that the six million Kedoshim who died in the Second World War were as a result of the fact that they were pushing the envelope on the Shoah Shvuas, and the Gemara tells us that if we don't, don't observe the Shoah Shvuas, so then um, we're going to have, Akadosh Baruch will spill our blood um, you know, like, uh, yeah, yeah. Kaddish Baruch Hu will like the Tzvahos Vayigos HaSadeh. Even if we're going to divorce the emotional side of that, of that if that's possible, um, and I'm not one to, to speak about that, you know, certainly uh, people who live through it, the children of people who live through it, it's a whole different uh, conversation, but even if we're just going to divorce it from the emotional, uh, you know, if that's possible, and discuss the academic sense, it, it's still... You know, we can ask the Kasha. So, why would the people who stayed in Europe suffer as a result of those who went there to Israel? So, even if we, 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 even if you know, we want to entertain the argument, it, it still doesn't seem also, to to hold. Also, water. it directly led to the state of. Yeah, it's Zion. confusing. Zion. I'm just, I'm just telling you what Simon Rebbe said. Anyway, I don't presume Simon Rebbe meant it in an offensive way, huh? Of course. It's totally and not actually the mice of conquering. It's, it was a whole ideology that was born in Europe. Right? That was born in Europe. So the people who stayed and didn't go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm just, I don't know how big the movement was. I think that's a kasha. I think it's a kasha. There's other kashas, but I think I think that's certainly something. It's as good as an answer for the six million as any other answer that we. Uh, yeah. I'm not the Samarib. I'm not a barpuk of the Samarib. I'm just letting you know what he says. Yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. Anyway, but we understand this argument seems to be based on the Shalosh Fus. What is a response of those who perhaps you know feel that? There's a different direction we should be going in. So they're already so not that any of us would disagree with Samar Rebbe or the Gemara Sefer Shurus. Anybody else articulating anything similar? Was it permissible in the time of Ezra? Uh, Why were they allowed to go back and go back as a movement? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So they they don't deal with the Gemara Sefer Yuma and Gemara Sefer Brachis, uh, but you're right. Uh, we're going to get to your point in a second. Yeah. The difference yeah. when something happens in 19 years later and you try and keep it back yeah. than 2,000 years later. Yeah. Or maybe they feel that was a, more of a direct communication from HaKadosh Baruch Hu that they should go back and that was, you know, over, overrode the Shavosh Fuz. One can make that argument easily that you had Nevi'im at that time and maybe they, you know... Is anyone saying that, that, that you're supposed to feel the Golas and that's true? Or is that... 
It might be similar to my Rao's approach. We'll get to you in a second. Okay, so the Avnei Nezer, who was more supportive of the Zionist movement already, the Avnei Nezer died in 1910. So he predates the Satmar Rebbe, and certainly the, even any of the developments that led up to the founding of the State of Israel. So Avnei Nezer um, argues um, that the Shal Shavu, that we already mentioned, is an Agadita, not a Havachic statement, as we already mentioned. And then he makes another argument. And he says that over here, or at least it would potentially be different, if they would give us permission to return. If you look back, um, in the Gemara Masechus Subis on Rashi, Rashi says which implies an aggressive move that we did it, you know, without their permission. Or the Marsha makes that point with regards to Nehemiah. How was it? He says, was Nehemiah and Ezra able to go back to Eretz Israel and to rebuild the fortifications around Yerushalayim? Oh, so he says because it was Birshus Hamelachaya. Kairish allowed them. They gave them permission. The Persian king, Cyrus's edict, gave them permission to return to Eretz So since they did it, um, it was allowed. And similarly, other Akhrenim accept this view, that if they give us permission to go back, it will not be in violation of the Shalosh Fulis. It's only Shalayahu B'chayimu. We shouldn't take it by force. But if they allow it, they invite it, they permit us, so then it should be allowed. That approach was adopted by the famous sefer called Ema Banim Smeich. Ema Banim Smeich was Shlomo Yisach HaTaych who was initially a Munkach HaChosid. Um, before the war. He was killed during the war. He was killed in 1943 um, in Europe. But even before then, when he saw how world events were progressing, he began his Munkacha Chassid on firmly on the other side of the Zionist issue. Um, but then when he saw what was taking place, he saw that the future of the Jews was not in Europe. The future of the Jews was going to have to be somewhere else. And he wrote a whole book about his vision, which is a fantastic, but doesn't Imai Askama, everybody knows about the Eimah Banim Smeicha, it's been translated into English. A very powerful, moving book. So in the Eimah Banim Smeicha, he also makes this point that if they will allow us to go back, obviously that would change the calculus. The same argument was accepted by the Pilliver. The Pilliver Rebbe was, a, was the grandson of the Kutzker. The Avnei Nezer was the son-in-law of the Kutzker. And the uh, grandson of the Kutzker was the Pilver, who ended up taking over the Kutzker Chesidus, which was obliterated during the war, but he was the, the third Kutzker Rebbe. So the Pilver always had plans to go to Eretz Yisrael. He wrote a whole book about it called Shalom Yushalayim. He planned to make Aliyah to Eretz Yisrael with his family. His wife and his daughter, tragically, were killed, and he never got his act together to go into Eretz Yisrael. But that was, that was always his plan. And he writes in his Sefer Shalom Yushalayim as well, that if the Umas HaElam will allow us to go back, so then, so then, um, 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 certainly that would not be in violation of the of the Shavuos. Huh? So would that be the equivalent of Ezra Nehemiah getting the Nebula to go back? Meaning, let, if the Kairish told them. He gave them permission to go back. But it was coupled with Nebula. I don't know. I don't know. You can't call the Balfour Declaration. Oh, we'll get to that point. That's not a Nebula. So many feel. Let's just talk about it. So many feel. Huh? One second. One second. One second. So many feel in so many feel, many feel after the Balfour Declaration in 1917, which of course where the British acknowledged the plan, the two-state solution allowed, you know, a, a thought Jewish people should be able to go back there. So it's funny, people think the Balfour Declaration and the establishment of the State of Israel, the two biggest um, dates in the timeline of development of the State of Israel, truth of the matter is that the Balfour Declaration wasn't accepted as policy of the British government until 1920 at a conference in San Remo, Italy. So at 1920... Um, uh, in, that, in that time, that was when it really became the accepted policy. And many felt at the time, this was a hotly debated at the first Canadian Gedolim in 1923 in Vienna, and then in 1929 in Vienna, of all the Gedolim in Europe, this issue was obviously a central focus, is what should our attitude be now that they're giving us permission to go back. At that time, the Orsameach, huh? So the Tzatmar Rebbe held the UN Partition Plan, not the Balfour Declaration? 
don't know. Can, you can draw your own conclusion. But over here, the Ar Sameach, over here, Oisid Beis, published a famous letter. It's quoted by anyone who discusses the topic. The Ar Sameach, over here, Oisid Beis, printed a letter in, COVID, uh, in a journal called Hatar, which was, it's been reprinted uh, again. When was it written? In, uh, exactly 100 years ago, so in 1922, two years after San Remo conference. So he writes over here that after what happened in San Remo, after this has been accepted as a British policy, a new light has shined on the issue. And he writes, um, if you look at the underlying part of me, he says, now we don't have to be any more afraid of the Shalosh Shvuas. He says, where is it? Um, yeah, he says, uh, oh, I'm sorry, on the four, four, three lines from the bottom, they made a decree that they are giving Eretz Yisrael to uh, Am Yisrael. And in fact, it's interesting, the Arabs at that time did not protest either. They were more focused on their own land grab more than what the Jews were doing. And he says, now the fear of the Shvuas has been lifted. It's interesting that he calls it a fear, as if it's like some sort of superstition, you know, not something that we actually have to, he calls it a fear, like as if it's a, a phobia. It says, so then now the mitzvah of Yishev Eretz Yisrael is returned to its rightful place. So the Arsameach and many others believe that once they give us permission to return, that should be allowed. Rav Avadi Yosef, of all people, in a journal called Chumen, argued when the whole discussion of land for peace was a hotly debated issue, that maybe this removes the issue of the Shalosh Rulas vis-a-vis the parts that were given to Eretz Yisrael, that were given to the Jewish state in 1948, would not relate to the properties beyond the Green Line that they conquered on their own in 1967. That would, in fact, be a violation of the Shalosh Vuas. Other of his contemporaries, Rosh Yisrael, who was a contemporary of Avadia, argued that no, once we're given the ability to establish our Medina, we have the right to defend ourselves and then expand our borders as we see fit. It was only not to make that initial um, you know, uh, crossing uh, the Rubicon and making a state. But once we did it, um, so we cross that threshold, so then we, we have the, the right to defend ourselves. What is interesting, though, is this is a very strong argument. Not to make an aggressive move. It sounds like if they give it to us, it would be allowed. What's interesting is, though, the Rabbi Yonatan Ibshitz, and it's a Sefer Havas Yehoinus on the Haftarah, on Parsha Shoifim, it's a Sefer on Chumash and the Megillus. But Rabbi Yonatan Ibshitz asks, again, well before the whole issue it became, you know, this. Uh, uh, an issue that was discussed by the Paiskim. So Rabbi Yannis and I should ask on the Shalosh Fuas, why do we need the first two? They seem to be redundant. One, and Isn't that exactly the same thing? So I explained, and I think it's Pashup shot, one is we shouldn't make an aggressive move to regard our own re-establish settlement there. The other is not to try and hijack a different country in Chutzlarich. Rabbi Yannis and I should says no, that one is not to make an aggressive move, and then uh, one is, is not to make an aggressive move, the other is, even if they give us permission, not to go. That's not to go in mass, even if they give us permission. And the Satmar Rebbe quotes this view of Rabbi Yonatan and he sides with this view that even if they give us permission, that doesn't um, relieve us of the Shalosh Vuz. There's a, another interesting argument that's out there, before I get to what I think is the most compelling argument. There is, I, mean, I think this is compelling, but I think it needs to be repackaged a little bit. There's another argument that's out there, but I never found, I, it's hard to find it by the person who said it in their name, in their own handwriting. People quote it in the names of other people. They quote it in the name of Chaim Moise, a similar argument. That, look, over here, Kaddish Baruch Hu made Shalosh Vuz. This is a deal that Kaddish Baruch Hu made with Dumasayim. And they also have their side of the deal. 
And whenever one, you have a deal like this where there's a uh, you know, transactional nature to it, when one of the parties breaks their side of the deal, the other side is relieved from their side of the deal. And this is a sif in Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch says over here, Oisid Gimel, two people take a shvua to each other, they're going to marry their children, and one is dragging their feet. So they're not fulfilling their side of the bargain. Well, then the other party is automatically relieved of their uh, commensurate obligation, and they no longer have to stay, and they can, you know, feel free to marry someone else. Because once one party broke the agreement, the other party is relieved of their agreement. So there are those that say the Umas Hayulam didn't keep up their side of the bargain. Shlo Yishtab, yourself, Yosemi die, and they quote this in the name of Chaim Moiser again, who lived before the atrocities of the Holocaust became revealed. Uh, that, that already, you know, at that point, Reb Chaim Moiser felt that, that this was already too much. It's not printed, Reb Chaim Moiser didn't print this. It's quoted in his name, Reb Shlomo Kluger, again, well before the debate became something contemporary, uh, Reb Shlomo Kluger and his Haggadah makes this argument with regards to the Egyptians, that since they um, uh, uh, broke their side of the agreement, we didn't have any kind of responsibilities that were, um, you know, uh, to them. So, this is kind of uh, a tit-for-tat, you know, part, part of the relationship. The problem is it doesn't really work. It doesn't really work. Samarebbe calls this apicarsis, but it doesn't really work. Because over here, Oisid Gimel, he quotes the argument, but he says over here, he says, that's only if the two made a deal together. Here, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, is, is like the, the third party who's bartering an agreement between us and the Umas Ha'ilam. That's a very different arrangement than if we make a deal together where each party is bound by their side of the agreement. Anyway, I don't think that that argument... I think it's an interesting piece of the puzzle, but I don't think it holds, you know, the... I don't know if it's the most compelling. What I think is the most compelling, which really brings all of the issues we've discussed together, um, is the morale. The morale's approach is the Netzach Yisrael, it's also in his Chidusha Agadis, in the where the Maral explains, what kind of shvua is this? And that's always something that's bothersome. Who took the shvua? Why is it binding on future generations? What kind of shvua is this? So Maral explains that the shvua here is, um, is really a gzeira of a Kaddish Baruch Hu in overriding what is the natural course of events. The Maral explains, uh, people, items, always tend to revert back to the natural state. You can, right, you know, Kaddish Baruch Hu can push the water of the Kriyas Yamsuf, um, and part of the waters for Christ of the Levites, right? But after the Xayra is over, the water returns to its natural state. You can cause things to have, uh, you know, weather patterns, sometimes, uh, you know, create a Ruach Chedimutsuya, but then the weather returns to what is normal. People are meant to walk on their feet. You can walk on your hands for a few minutes. You're probably going to, at some point, going to go back to walking on your hands and feet because that's just the normal. You know, pe- people, things tend to revert back to the normal state. The normal state is Kaiso being an Eretz Israel because that's our homeland. That's where we belong. What nation is displaced for thousands of years and remains a nation? It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a natural thing. Most nations would assimilate. Kaiso was not, you know, our mission is not to assimilate. That's not a natural state of affairs. So most nations are supposed to remain in their place and they're not supposed to be invaded by other nations who don't belong there and retain their identity. <laughs> you know, which is a foreign identity in, in, you know, in, in a different host. So it's not a natural state of affairs. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu felt as part of the mission of the world, it was necessary for Kaiso to be into Gagos to achieve whatever master plan HaKadosh Baruch Hu has. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu over here is being Mashbia, the two parties involved, the Umos HaElam, that they have to host us while we're there, and Kaiso to remain where we are as, in order to fulfill the mission of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But what the Shavuah is, is really um, getting the parties to agree that they're not going to revert back to their natural state of affairs, even though that is something that we would naturally desire. Ad Shetechbatz, until the master plan of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is that we should return, in which case the love of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is rekindled on his side, and now it's time for us to make that, to make that move back. So uh, th- that itself is, you know, waiting for the HaKadosh Baruch Hu's plan to, to develop. So that's why... Um, 
Over here, Reb Chaim Vital, I, I, I think we can understand it in light of the Maral, Reb Chaim Vital writes over here in the Eitz Chaim, the name of the Rebiyah Kodesh, that this Shavu is only meant to last for a thousand years. The Sama Rebbe quotes this too. It's only meant to last for a thousand years. So after a thousand years are over, from the time of Shlomo, Melech, and on, the Shal Shavuos are over. So, at least if you go with the Reb Chaim Vital, that's a very easy solution to the whole thing. The whole thing was only meant to last for a thousand years, and then it ends. That's in Chemia, right? After about a thousand years. Why a thousand years? Where does that come from? Because and the whole thing was only meant to last for a day. It's it's hard to figure out. That's the Messiah that we have over here from the Kabbalah, the whole thing was only meant to last for a thousand years. But the way I understood that is that this is something that's not meant to last. The Shal Shavuos are themselves a temporary um, agreement, that we will remain in Gaulus in order to fulfill our mission in Gaulus, that Umas will host us in a somewhat hospitable fashion, and then when when the time arrives, we're going to return um, to Eretz Yisrael. That, of course, would solve the discord that we have in the statements of Chazal. On the one hand, we have the Shalosh Fuhosh, at the same time, Ezra Nechemia are criticized at the time of the Chorban Bais Rishon, and the Gaulus above Bavel, they're criticized for not going back. So you'll say, well, that, maybe that's different. They receive permission to go back from Koresh. And the Shalayahu Yisrael B'chaim is when we don't receive permission. But maybe on a, you know, on a macro level, what that really is also is reflecting two different uh, time periods. Sometimes our mission is to remain in Chosvaret. Sometimes our mission, though, is to return to Eretz Yisrael. In a certain sense, we have to be sensitive to what's happening to recognize what is HaKadosh Baruch Hu waiting for us to do? Because the Sefer Shir Shirim also describes how sometimes, our you know, beloved is knocking, and we're not ready. We're not ready to answer the call. And that's exactly what happened at the time, if you look up in the Sefer Kuzari, Kuzari explains, the Melchah Kuzari in his uh, explanations of Judaism, that's exactly what happened at the Korban, after Korban Bayez Rishin, we didn't return, Kechayma, we didn't return in masses. We were supposed to, because we weren't being attentive to the Kodo Dido Fake. We weren't listening out for HaKadosh Baruch Hu's knocking when he was telling us, come back, come back. So sometimes our mission is to be in Chutzlaret, sometimes we have to not be okay with it because we always dive into return, but understand that that's our mission is to be here and not to become uh, impatient and not to become overly frustrated and not to attempt to go back when HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't want us to be there. That's exactly what the Gemara says. If you attempt to go back when it's not the time, so then HaKadosh Baruch Hu will spill our blood, meaning our attempt will be futile, will be, you know, will, will be rejected and thrown back, just like the Mapilim, right, after the, the Meraglim forfeited the opportunity squandered the opportunity to go into Eretz Yisrael at the time, they said, okay, and then the Jews said at the time, we're going to go now, because Rebbe says, not the time, and they were killed in the process. So if we attempt to go before it's too early, we'll be thwarted, we'll be frustrated, we'll, you know, we'll, it will be a, a fool's errand. We won't be successful. But we also, at the same time, have to be sensitive for the knocking of a Kaddish Baruch Hu to know when it is, to know when it is time to return. So it's uh, this, uh, this, this, uh, you know, this, this balance that we have to strike. But that's exactly what the Shavuos are, claims of Aral. Again, along the same lines as Abnei Nezah, it's an agotic statement. It's an agotic statement, which is true, um, and it's something that should be followed, meaning don't become overly frustrated. Don't become, you know, impatient with our mission here in the cause because we have a mission here. In that sense, it, it's, it's, it's similar to another one of the Shavuos that Gemara mentions. It's not part of the formal show of Shavuos. The Gemara actually says there might be six Shavuos because um, 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 the Pasuk says, yeah, im ta'irum ta'iruru, it's six Shavuos. So one of the Shavuos might be, it's two Gersos and Rashi, Shlo Yid Chaku Esakets. One is Shlo Yirach Chaku Esakets, not to push it off by doing our The other is Shlo Yid Chaku Esakets, not to push it, not to push the envelope. 
What is Rashi? What does that mean? Rashi says, don't daven too much. What do you mean, don't daven too much? We daven every day. We shalai miracle. We daven every day. So what it means is, no, there's a power of tefillah that can force a Kaddish Baruch Hu's hand. We shouldn't force a Kaddish Baruch Hu's hand throughout tefillahs, meaning become frustrated, become impatient, understand that part of our mission is here to be here in Gaulus, and we have to be sensitive, though, for this, uh, you know, for the, these two different time periods. So the Kotzker makes this exact point. In describing the same thing is found in Rav Tzadik. There's a whole safer mimer and a safer about this called Hoiket Ikrim. Same point, and that is with regards. Meishra Akedas Baruch tells Meishra Rabbeinu at the time of the burning bush that Pakod Pakadti Eschem tell the Jewish people I will surely remember them. And Rashi says that was a simon, a sign that Meishra Rabbeinu was supposed to give to the Jewish people that the true girl of Kali so from Mitzrayim will use the language Pakod Pakadti Eschem. That was the code word to know now the time had come to leave Egypt. So the Ramban asks. Once the code word is out, it's not a code word. Once everybody knows, every Tom Dick and Harry is going to come to Mitzrayim and say, with a big banner, you know, face paint. So where's the simon? Where's the sign? So the Kotzker explains over here, it's called in the Sefer Oil Terror, of Tzadik has the, the exact same thing. And that is, no, it depends what the reaction of the people will be. How do the people react to it? Do they actually get inspired? Do they actually believe now it's time to leave? Do they, you know, uh, do they invest in this individual? If they do, and they click together, that's a sign, you know, how Kaiser reacts to whether or not the Kodo Dido fake, whether or not HaKadosh Baruch is actually knocking at our door, and it's our job to answer the door and now to return. So the very fact that Moshe Rabbeinu was able to awaken and rouse the people in that way shows that the time had come. And so too, there are those that argue, they makes this argument, others make the argument, that given the traction that the Zionist movement uh, 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 received in the support they received from other, you know, the, the international community. But in the unfolding of events that led to the establishment of the state of Israel, itself confirms that this was something that Kaddish Baruch Hu had intended. This was the call of the fake. We answered, or, you know, we're trying to answer the call of the Rebbe Shalom in going back um, at the proper time. And the very fact that it was successful underscores, you know, its importance. Satmar Rebbe makes one final point, which is, which is important to understanding Satmar theology, if you're interested in it. Satmar Rebbe makes the point that he believes, he, again, that's the counter-argument. We presented the counter-argument. Satmar Rebbe believes, though, that uh, Zionism itself is a violation of the Shalosh Fuis. And not only that, the continuation of the state of Israel, despite its establishment and success, uh, is an ongoing Avera. It's an ongoing violation of the Shalosh Fuis. And therefore, Satmar refuses to participate in any elections or, you know, to any kind of government, uh, governmental function. So, even if you accept the argument of Satmar Rebbe, that Zionism itself was a f- violation of the Shalosh Fuis, which I think there's a good argument, you know, against it. But even if you accept that argument, the second part of, the, you know, the initial argument, the second part of that argument, that the, even after the establishment of the State of Israel is an ongoing Avera, one could reject that part. And in fact, there are contemporaries of his, who did reject that, that second part. First, you can make the argument that don't come from Chutzaret and make an aggressive move to conquer the state of Israel. What if you're there already? So then it doesn't sound like there's any problem. But even more than that, the Stipor writes over here in the Kraina, the Igrisa, over here, Oisites, even if you accept the, the time of the Satmar Rebbe, which he does, he says, There is no other, other government other than this. It's not an ongoing Avera. Rev. Reuven Grzovsky, who was the head of the Moetzis um, here in America before Rabbi Aaron Cutler, has a safer about the Biosazman, uh, bio dealing with issues of the day. Hak, you know, stuff that was going on. So he has an, uh, a mimer about participating in the Israeli government, and he writes, the Mitzius is the Mitzius. You can be upset about it, that it happened the way that it did, 
Um, and by the way, this shouldn't be conflated. The Satmar Rebbe's opposition to Zionism shouldn't be conflated with those who are upset that the government in Eretz Israel is not religious or that the pioneers weren't religious. That's an entirely different argument. That's not, nothing to do with the Shalosh Vuz. He's very focused on the Shalosh Vuz. There's, you know, we have to, you have to be careful in terms of uh, conflating op- those opposed to the Zionist movement in the state of Israel. <laughs> but anyway, they're, they're really separate. But Ruben Kozovsky says, even if you were thought it was a violation of the Shalosh Vuz, once it's here, it's here. And, um, and, and there's no reason not to participate in the government, no reason not to engage in the elections. But the Satmar Rebbe felt that it was a violation at the time and continues to be an ongoing violation. Final thing is the Vilna Gain has over here, everyone who discusses the issue quotes this. Not that I know. But they also don't participate, no? Yeah. Yeah, they don't take money from the government. Yeah, so the Vilna Gain has a comment that Tukunay Zayar, when the Vilna Gain claims that the Shalosh Fuas of Shalagagu Bechoyma was only the, something that prevented them from, not from establishing a Medina in Eretz Israel, but from building the base Hamikdash. From building the base Hamikdash. Where do you get that from? The Gemara clearly thinks that it has to do with making Aliyah to Eretz Israel, moving to Eretz Israel, establishing a Jewish government in Eretz Israel, not the base Hamikdash. Where did the Gain get this from? So the Talmud Agra suggests that what the Gain felt was that HaKadosh Baruch has already knocked on our door for moving back to Eretz That's why the Vilna Goyen organized, or attempted to organize this. Tell me them organized what a mass emigration to Eretz Yisrael. Huh? Their time did they feel was knocking on the door? They felt that already in those times there were there was a yearning to go back to Eretz And the very fact that Kali so feels this yearning and is willing to act on it is the sign of Pakot Pakarati Yeshem, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is knocking at our door because it's the door of the heart. If we feel we want to go back, that itself shows HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, is asking us to return. So the guidance made the Tell me the Agro suggests the Goyen felt that door that Kodesh Baruch had already opened for us, and it's our job, you know, to, to, to respond. The door to the base Hamikdash has not yet been opened. That part of the relationship of Kodesh Baruch is not yet, you know, not yet ready for us. So the Goyen felt that the loyal has been limited. Of course, in initial formulation, it re- had to do with returning to itself, but now it's been limited only to rebuilding the base Hamikdash. That we shouldn't take the initiative. Yet the Goyen felt that was something that we, we have to hear more from HaKadosh Baruch Hu on that. We shouldn't take the initiative of pushing the relationship that far. That we have to wait to hear from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We look forward to hearing from the knocking of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We should see the billion base. Amen.